You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, I think our momentum is good. There's a ton of excitement out there that uh, I think just gets created with some decisions that were made and, and the work our coaches are doing. So, so I think that uh, that all kind of bodes well as we're going forward. The unique thing about a place like Nebraska, you know, we say it all the time, there's no place like Nebraska, but we're honored and privileged to be a part of such a great program. And uh, we just want to get out and thank people face-to-face as much as we can. And, and we're just going to keep doing it. Every time we can find a window to get out, we're going to do that. And that sets the stage here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. It is a full speaking tour season for Nebraska. As you heard, Sean Eichhorst, Mike Riley, they've made a statewide tour this week. They've gone everywhere from Alliance and McCook. Uh, They were in Omaha. um, You name it, uh, Lincoln, uh, to start things off on Monday. But this has kind of become an annual thing uh, for Nebraska. And, And I wrote it this week in my 321. It's a simple thing, but it's an important thing. Um, and it's something that really Bo Pelini uh, would never really embrace and to do these kind of week-long tours. And I, I think sometimes, you know, the state didn't feel like they got to know him very well. So I think this makes a lot of sense. Riley gets all into it, takes pictures, has fun. Eichhorst gets out to talk to people. Um, and, you know, people get to see him and talk to him more. So, uh, Robin, you were at the the Lincoln event on Monday, and we've been following, you know, the events all week. Um, what were, what was your take just kind of second year now they've done this? Well, you know, obviously it was the first one in Lincoln. It was a fairly small group. It was at the Nebraska Club way up at the 20th floor of the U.S. Bank building. Uh, so it was maybe about a 100 120 people or so. Um, but still, I, I agree with you. These, the fact that these guys are doing this is huge. And it's not just the Lincoln and Omaha ones that really mean much. It's the ones where you head out um, and, and hit the, the western, the, the panhandle, and go to places where you know the previous coaching staff probably didn't even acknowledge. Um, so I think that, that from a PR standpoint, um, a very smart move. But the focus um, definitely seems to be on recruiting and you know given the nature of what we've seen um, on the recruiting front lately it, it makes a lot of sense and um, it's been everything from just the the success nebraska's had um, with their 2018 class uh, and then also some of the proposed rule changes and the current rule changes that have gone into effect uh, so really just kind of a, a real recruiting focused tour that um, kind of says a lot about the nature of uh, college football and the nature of you know nebraska fan interest well, yeah, I think this is all about kind of winning the off season and and uh, getting some, you know, building up some goodwill and, and everything. And I like the fact that Mike Riley seems to really enjoy these and embrace these. You know, you uh, when whenever Bo would go out on the road, he, he you could definitely you definitely get the vibe from him that that this is the absolute last place that he would want to be. And um, and like what you were saying, Robin, I, I think it's more important for for these tour stops that are outside of Lincoln and Omaha and, uh, from the Eastern part of the state, you know, when you're, when the head coach and the athletic director are going out to Alliance or, or wherever, McCook, McCook, I mean, the whole communities rally around these things and, and kind of, uh, take part in, and are interested in what's going on and what's being said because um, having lived in Western Nebraska, there is some sort of a disconnect from from what's taking place in in Lincoln and Omaha, and of course Lincoln and Omaha get all of you know get all the run and and everyone you know kind of talks about you know every what's going on in those cities, um, especially with the Huskers program. There is there is a disconnect. You you kind of live and die by what you read in the newspapers or or what you're catching online or or, or catching on uh, Sports Nightly every night. So to have um, uh, Sean Eichhorst and Mike Riley actually stop in through your town, I think is pretty special, and it's something that the fans definitely embrace. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we set the stage here this week. Uh, we'll talk more about these recruiting rule changes later in the show and Nebraska's latest commit as well, Cameron Brown. We're going to be joined by Tom Deanhart of the Big Ten Network com to get his take on uh, where things are at. We'll take your questions in the mailbag, but uh, let's continue this in-state discussion. Um, and you're right, guys, you both talked about the offseason and winning the offseason. And, you know, it's college football on the field is a, what, a three, three and a half month sport, but the offseason is so big now. 
with the momentum. Um, and, and, and Nebraska has done a really good job of being an off-season team uh, with this coaching staff the last couple of years. I mean, the question now is, can that translate um, to the regular season? Can they finish strong? And, you know, last year getting off to a 7-0 and start, um, even up to uh, they were nine and two going into Iowa, um, you know. So they had they were right there, and, and yeah, you, you just sense that optimism, though, Robin, when you, when you talk to people and, and kind of see everything that's happened out here on the road this week. Yeah, if there's one way to get people off your back about the lack of on field success, it's to do work on the recruiting front, and um, you know we could say the same thing about Nebraska's basketball program. That's kind of one thing that's kept uh, Tim Miles and his staff afloat is the fact that they've been able to bring in talent, and so um, that's the main reason for optimism right now behind Nebraska football. Um, obviously, the results on the field have uh, been disappointing. There's no other way to say it, but uh, the fact that they're kind of reshaping um, the, the the talent level that, that we've seen over the past few years, especially you know at the skill positions and some pretty important spots, um, I think that the, you know there's you know, there's reason for hope that um, you know all this work that they're putting in on the recruiting front and with their offseason work is going to translate into you know a, a progressive um, increase in, in wins and um, you know that that buys you only so much time though. At some point, you need to you know go out there and, and kind of uh, show that you know that talent you're bringing in is is worth something and so you know we'll they're they're okay now but uh, if they go out and have another year like they've had the past two years then um all of a sudden that recruiting success isn't going to do you so much goodwill well yeah and i think the with the recruiting success it's it's not complete tangible evidence but it's it's something more that fans can kind of sink their teeth into and and follow than than uh, what may be taking place in the weight room uh, or throughout fall, you know spring practice or or summer workouts or or whatever the case may be it's something that they can actually follow they can, you can actually see you know what other teams they're getting into recruiting battles with and so far this staff has done a really good job of kind of upping the ante is in terms of the type of player that they're recruiting and the other types of teams that they're beating out for for recruits on and um, and I think that all kind of builds into the the optimism surrounding this season uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, you know having a different quarterback too and and a new defense and so I think there's a lot of optimism but like you said that it's time to kind of take that next step or at least uh, beat the teams that you should you should be beating or, or that the fans want to be beating, you know, the Iowas and the Wisconsins and the teams like that. Uh, I think that's what people are wanting to see now. As we uh, wrap up this opening segment here on the Husker Line Show, Robin, I did want to hit on some basketball. There's still some roster questions um, as far as filling those spots. Is there, is there any movement on that front? Um, as we kind of, you know, the, the spring recruiting um, live period's done with, um, out there as far as recruiting goes, but you know, as far as transfers go, there's still a lot out there. Yeah, they're kind of in a holding pattern right now. Um, the big one that they're waiting on is Hans Brace, the um, grad transfer from Princeton, power forward. Um, he's uh, kind of wrapping up his kind of his tour of visits. He's seen Richmond, Nebraska, Iowa State, Georgia Tech, and Georgetown. And uh, from what I've heard, he's expected to make a decision, you know, sometime uh, by the end of the weekend. And um, if that does play out, then we'll know a lot about what Nebraska's kind of plan of attack is. If they get Hans, um, which I would say it's probably an outside chance at this point, um, just because he's got some schools that are closer to home that um, would provide provide him, you know, maybe a better shot at playing the NCAA tournament um, on his list. But uh, if they are, if they do get him, I would not be surprised at all if they just take that second scholarship they have available and save it. Um, I, I don't think they're in a pressing need right now to rush to just fill two spots to fill two spots. Uh, I think that they like the depth that they have. Obviously, they're still looking to add one more front court piece. Um, so if they get Hans, that kind of answers your question. And I, I don't think that they would, you know, go out of their way to fill a second spot. Now, if they miss on him, then you look at some other options. Obviously, you know, we've, we've talked about Okoye Gao. He's still out there. He's visiting Illinois this weekend. Um, there's Isaiah Chandler, who's back on the market after um, decommitting from New Mexico. Uh, so, I mean, there are some options out there, but 
uh, it's kind of slim pickings right now. Uh, so they, they really kind of have all their eggs in this Hans Brace basket. And um, if he does not commit, then it's going to be real um, interesting to see where they go from there. All right, when we come back, we're gonna, uh, Nate Klaus and I are going to discuss the new signing day uh, this year. Uh, prospects will decide they'll sign letters uh, have the option to sign in December uh, that was officially passed this week uh, Nate and I will discuss that and what that means next here you're listening to the Husker online show you're listening to the Husker online show your authority on Nebraska athletics I think that someday I think that that was on the table initially and I think that there was discussion about that kind of early signing date end of June first part of July I think that was on the table. I think that the, the December one ended up being a compromise for the moment, but I think that we will find with earlier visits in April, May, and June that that becomes kind of a natural time eventually for kids to go ahead and sign. I think a, a, a lot of high school coaches and kids would be glad about that actually, to get that behind them at that point. That's in the future. It might not be next year or the year after, but I think someday you'll see something like that. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. We saw some major recruiting uh, news become official here this week as um, it was announced and voted on by the conference um, committees uh, that there will now be an early signing day. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, and that day, Nate, is it December 22nd this year? December 20th, and it runs for 72 hours. So it'll essentially go from the 20th through the 23rd, right before Christmas. All these signing day. But, no, it will be interesting to see how how that all plays out. It will be linked up with the junior college day, right, in that period, which that only makes sense. Um, you know, to, to have that linked up there uh, with the two. I, I'll, I'll be curious. So, so I wonder if there'll be just um, two December weekends to bring guys in, or will there be three this year? i got to look at the, how the calendar well, falls. Well, I'm, I'm guessing there will be three. Um, yeah, it depends on how the calendar falls, I guess. But because typically you've got a couple weekends to bring in visitors, and then it goes to the, the dead period, and then – the you know that week the middle of that week is typically when the the mid-year signing period is for junior college players and now this year for high school players as well yeah looking at the calendar this year there'd be a december 1st december 8th and december 15th weekend Uh, now that december 1st one links up with the conference championship game so that is always kind of a uh, a dicier weekend uh, for you know you, you would hope if you're playing in a title game but um, yeah, it's going to change a lot, Nate. And what I'm going to be most curious about, and I wrote this in three, two, one, is how many of Nebraska's current early commits will sign in December, and if they choose not to sign in December, what will be the consequences? Well, early feedback from some of the guys that I've been reaching out to so far is that they all plan on signing. I haven't, uh, I haven't been able to connect with all ten of the commits just yet, but um, you know, over half of them have told me that that they're planning on signing during that early period, and, and I would suspect that at least in this year's class that that. Uh, all of those guys are going to be signing in that early period. So I don't think we'll see any drama there. But uh, I promise you that whether it's at Nebraska or at another program, there's going to be guys that decide to not sign in December. And and I think that's really going to – I mean, the, let the poaching begin because as soon as one of those guys, whether it's at Nebraska or somewhere else, you know, announces that they're not signing in December – I think that pretty much opens the door up for any program to come after that particular player and try to try to get him on campus for a visit in in January before the the you know the regular signing period or signing day on that first Wednesday in February. That's it's really going to I think create a little bit of a mess. I think if there's if there's players out there that are committed to a school but feel like they want to test the waters to see what other type of offers may come about, that's it's going to get pretty interesting. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we discuss the new uh, signing day that will happen this year on December 20th. And Mike Riley's even hinted that down the road in, in whatever amount of years, we could see a um, July signing day. And, and that does make sense in some ways – uh, because, you know, if you're going to take April, May and June visits and have like a 10 or 12 week visit window in that period, there's going to be a lot of guys that would like to sign on July 1st. But I think the counter argument to that is academics. Will guys be fully qualified and 
could that prevent a guy from signing, say, July 1st, um, where in December at least you'd have one semester and, and, and your ACT, maybe an October score could be factored in there to, uh, to the equation. Um, so I, it will be interesting. And then, Nate, there's even the theory if they moved it up to July that there could be some guys that pull a Christian McCaffrey exactly. and sit out their senior year um, and sandbag it and, and, and not take part in, in things. Well, and that's probably my big – you know, one of the biggest reasons why I don't like that signing period in, in June or early July is because I think that these kids now – they're smart, and and they also have a lot of people kind of in their corner directing them what to do and what not to do, and and they're kind of already thinking about building their brand and 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 what you know what steps they need to take to eventually make it to the NFL, and 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 uh, just like we saw with Christian McCaffrey not playing in the bowl game to kind of pre- preserve himself for the NFL draft, I, I think that you could see some some trainers and handlers and you know uncles uncles. <laughs> Kind of, kind of telling kids, well, hey, man, you, you you signed, you have your spot, you know, don't go out there and risk injury, you know, you don't want to blow out a knee, you don't want to get a couple concussions or whatever, you know, you don't want to put yourself at risk, you want to save that wear and tear for, you know, once you actually do get to college and 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 then you know progress through your career. So, I, I could see that happening. And the other thing too is. Uh, development. I, I think that you could get into kind of a dicey situation where if you're filling up the majority of your class that early in in you know in June or early July, that you're probably going to miss out on a lot of kids. You know that maybe some you know a later bloomer that uh, that you know eventually down the road. You know let's say once. October, November, December rolls around, and you've seen some senior footage on some guys that maybe you wish you had room to in your class to to fit those guys in because they all of a sudden developed way more as a player than and maybe even look better than some of the guys that have already signed with you. Yeah, it's going to create Nate a, a lot of situations that we don't even know how it's going to play out um, because we've not gone through this yet and. Everybody plays poker different, and mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna learn how people play poker with these early signing days, and and, and kind of uh, what type of strong arm moves they're gonna make to make a guy sign. What type of strong arm moves are kids gonna make, and 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 we'll find out truly if the offer is committable or not committable. I mean, there's so many things that are going to make this interesting, and it's sure as hell gonna change a lot of what we do. Um, I mean, we've built our careers on this first Wednesday in February. Well, it's gonna be a lot different now yeah. because. Um, you're going to see a lot of, you know, and my question too will be like in-state kids, will they sign with South Dakota state in December or will they, they hold out and, you know, and, and, and wait for that bigger offer or Wyoming or, you know, will they sign with Wyoming and they're going to get pressured by those schools too. If you don't sign with us in December, your offer is gone. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really interesting for me to see kind of how the, not not just the high level stuff plays out, but a lot of these in-state things like a Jordan Pop this year would have had to make a decision maybe possibly, um, you know, and sign or Chris Walker would have had to sign Wyoming. I mean, those are things that uh, will really have to make Nebraska look at things differently yeah you're gonna there's gonna be this the strategy that's gonna go into this is is gonna be very very detailed and and intense because you're gonna have to to really think about every which scenario that's out there and um and i I mentioned this in in the three and out column that uh that you know guys like chris walker and and david inglehop who had been committed to wyoming probably never end up at nebraska if the you know if jalen bradley too you you never know jalen bradley too so I mean, there's a lot of guys out there like that that, that probably would never end up at Nebraska. Uh, so now you, you you get yourself into a situation where if you're if you're Nebraska and you have some in-state guys like that that you're you're still kind of waiting on, um, you know, to develop or that you're still kind of waiting on numbers-wise to see if you can fit them into your class. You you have to tell them, you know, you, you have to be transparent with them and say, hey, don't sign in December. Wait, you know, stick with us. Kind of keep keep waiting until uh, February before you sign because we think we might have a spot for you or, or we think that we might be close to offering you. I, I don't know how that's going to play out. Um, you know, in, in terms of the the June or July signing period, whenever that comes around, I mean, that's going to be 
you, you talk about speeding up the process. I think we're, I mean, we're already covering kids, you know, 2019 and 2020 kids that are getting a lot of offers. I think if you, if you have a summer signing period, you're going to be talking about kids three, four years down the road that are already being recruited and, and, you know, schools trying to get them on campus multiple times um, unofficially before they can take that official. It'll make your camps really more important too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's really, it really, is going to change the entire landscape uh, if and when that summer signing period comes around. But definitely, even the December period, even though it's only six weeks moved up from uh, from the traditional signing day in February, it's it's going to be there's a lot of strategy that's going to be well, taking place. And it, 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 the biggest thing Nate it prevents are the new coaching staffs that take over in January. They just go on a, a commit high spree where they try to take everybody's commits yeah. and. And, and break into your house and steal your belongings. And I think that is what this rule is going to really prevent is when, like, the SEC one year had four staffs come in at, like, Arkansas, Tennessee, Auburn, Kentucky, all at one time, three coaches that make, like, three to four million or three million plus. Those guys are going to be aggressive. Now they can't do that. They can't go after your, your committed guys and, and try to take them. So I think that's the biggest positive it brings is – um, that, but this will probably be our first of many conversations as oh, yeah. this is going to change a lot of what we do. And, and, uh, we're going to have a lot of stories about that coming up on Husker line. But when we come back, I caught up with Tom Deanhart of the big 10 network. We'll get his thoughts on things in this league uh, coming out of the spring. And that's next here. You're listening to the Husker online show. You're listening to the Husker online show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan here as uh, we make our way kind of through the dog days of May as everybody's now done with their spring practices. And uh, something we did a year ago and wanted to do it again this year, we bring in uh, our old rivals colleague now with the Big Ten Network.com, Tom Deanhart, uh, kind of to get his take on uh, what everything you know looks like here in the Big Ten coming out of the spring. First of all, Tom, uh, hope you had a good spring and, and thanks for taking some time with us. Yeah, Sean, I always enjoy visiting with you. I've enjoyed your uh, your friendship for the last 10 years or so. No, yeah, it's great to, to have you on. And as, as you look at it, Tom, uh, what do you think really stole the headlines around the Big Ten this spring? What, was it uh, Michigan going to Rome, P.J. Fleck? Uh, I mean, was there a storyline that really kind of captivated you uh, when, when you looked around this league? I think those were some big ones. I mean, you, you talked about, Sean, the Rome trip from Michigan. Of course, the bombastic P.J. Fleck now parachuting into the Big Ten. Can he translate what he did at Western Michigan to, you know, a bigger stage? That's going to be fun to watch. I guess for me, too, I always like a lot of people focus on the quarterback races across the conference. What jobs are open? Of course, you guys, Nebraska had a big opening there. The Tanner Lee won from Patrick O'Brien. You know, Minnesota still trying to decide who its quarterback is going to be. So is Illinois. Uh, Michigan State anointed Brian Lewerke, um, you know, on and on. It's gone across the conference. You know, Rutgers and Maryland are struggling on that position, too, still really looking for starters. So those are some of the, uh, I guess, position-wise that I really focused on this spring. Yeah, when when you look at the Big Ten West, I think everybody just assumes Wisconsin is the, the favorite because they return a great offensive line. Uh, they kind of have the base of that front seven back on defense, but they really don't have an elite quarterback. Uh, they lost all their running backs. They have one good receiver in Jazz Peavy. I mean, do you, but in your eyes, do you look at the Badgers as the clear cut favorite um, early on, or do you think this West race um, could be a little bit more wide open than, than people think right now? I think Nebraska probably is going to get the nod by most publications when they start hitting newsstands here the next, what, by, by, by the end of May, early June. Um, you know, Alex Hornerbrook has a nice quarterback, Sean. Um, the worry for that is if he gets hurt, the backup situation is an abomination in Madison. Remember last year, they used two quarterbacks. And, again, there's no real legit backup this year. The line's going to be good. Um, yeah, they lost Corey Clement, but – I think they're going to be fine with Bradrick Shaw, Taiwan Deal, and this transfer from Pitt named Chris James. Three good tight ends, two defensively. Talked about the front seven. Going to be good. So long story short, yeah, they're going to be right there. But I tell you what, buddy, the team maybe to watch is Northwestern. Um, yeah, they lost Austin Carr, but um, their quarterback, Clayton Thorson's back. Their running back, Justin Jackson's back. 
The line's going to be good defensively. Um, they lost to the stud linebacker, of course, but still, um, I like that defense as well. So this is going to be one of Fitzgerald's best teams. And maybe, who knows, John, maybe the Wildcats are the team that finally sneaks up on everybody and wins that division. I think for me, Tom, as we talk with Tom Deanhart of the BigTenNetwork.com, the interesting angle for Nebraska is a lot of it runs through Lincoln this year, Northwestern, Wisconsin, Iowa and Ohio State all play games in Lincoln this year. Uh, Nebraska's mm-hmm. toughest divisional game would probably be at Minnesota. They do have to go to Penn State um, and then obviously Purdue and Illinois. But they've got, of their five Big Ten home games this year, four of the five are against elite-level opponents. Uh, then you've got your other one being Rutgers. But uh, what's your make on just that schedule set up for Nebraska having really uh, all the key West games this year running through Lincoln? It's huge, man. That, this is huge. You know, this is year three for Mike Riley. Maybe this is his big breakthrough for like James Franklin had last year in his third season in State College, Pennsylvania, when he led the Nittany Lions to an improbable Big Ten championship. So, yeah, Sean, you and your listeners know, you know there's no sport that relies more on its schedule than in college football to really maybe make or break a team season. You talked about Nebraska as being very favorable and again, that's going to play to their their advantage, obviously. As we t- um, then now, I guess you have to ask yourself about the about the positions. You know, personnel wise, Nebraska, the new defense, the three four, the new quarterback, the offensive line has work to do. So again, there, there's a lot of potential there for Nebraska, no doubt. Yeah, Tom, as you look at Nebraska, you you kind of look at things from more of that ten thousand feet view. Um, but I mean, what what just on the surface, what's your take on Tanner Lee from what you've seen and and heard, and then even the Bob Diaco addition. Uh, I mean, can these be big impact moves? Um, and, and, and kind of what was your take of just kind of how all that played out with Diaco this offseason? Yeah, you give my, I give Mike Riley credit for, for shaking that staff up. That took a lot of guts. I think he knew, he, I think he knows what's at stake. He knows the expectations there. Haven't been met the first two years. So, yeah, this is a risk and a gamble, but it's one worth taking. Diaco is obviously a proven commodity if you look at his resume as a defensive coordinator most recently at Notre Dame. The schematic change seems to fit the personnel on defense. You know, a lack of some real good legitimate 4-3 defensive ends, but with a 3-4, they've got enough linebackers to maybe make that scheme work. And, uh, you know, offensively, the quarterback, two good options there, right? Right, yeah. Tanner Lee, they were talking about him last year. Last year, when we visited Nebraska for the camp tour, they were talking about Tanner Lee then, so... Yeah, there's some nice skills. And I like Trey Bryan a lot of running back, too. We're talking here with Tom Deanhart of the Big Ten Network. Let's look at Iowa. I mean, they're they're a team that, you know, they didn't have a – you know, a lot of their year got overshadowed by that early loss to North Dakota State, but they finished with a win over Michigan and a win over Nebraska. Uh, I don't put a lot of stock in that bowl game loss to Florida, mainly because of the C.J. Beathard injury um, he was trying to play with in that game. But the Hawks um, mm-hmm. lose some key guys like Beathard, but they have the, the core, kind of like Wisconsin. They've got the lines back, uh, the system's back in place. Um, does Iowa kind of hold serve this year? Do they take a step back? Um, or can they even take a step forward? Where do you see the Hawks? Yeah, we'll see. Eight and five season was sort of a it was a big comeback from that twelve and two 2015 Rose Bowl team. Um, but you're right, Sean, in the trenches, four starters back on the offensive line. Defensively, they lost their tackles, but they like their replacements. Nice linebackers too, buddy. I'm um, led by Josie Jewell. Um, offensively, I think Nathan Stanley probably will be the guy at quarterback when it's all said and done. You know, some good running backs too. Um, you know, the key for uh, Iowa though is going to be, you know, it seems like it is every year. Can they generate enough big plays on offense, particularly in the passing game? Um, just no dynamic ability of wide receiver. Um, you know, Matt Vandenberg, you know, is the best receiver. And, you know, he, he's a nice guy, but on a good team, Sean, he's probably a number three or four guy. So, again, it could be a plotting offense once again for Iowa. And in the end, if that's the case, um, that, that's really going to hurt them from trying to get back to the summit in the Big Ten West. We're talking with Tom Deanhart here of the Big Ten Network. What was your take on the Michigan-Rome thing? I mean, me personally, I think it's a great experience for those guys, and um, it's really unbelievable. I, am I right with this, that one booster pretty much paid for a lot of the cost to go out there? Because I know how much a bowl trip costs. I can't imagine uh, a trip to Rome with your entire football team and staff. I hear you. You're right. Having those type of boosters helps. Um, and more than anything, once again, Harbaugh keeps Michigan front and center in the headlines, right? In the month of, of, of May, uh, you know, Michigan football is one of the 
premier stories in the sport, if not the premier story, because of that trip. So you're right, love me, hate me, but don't ignore me. And we certainly can't ignore Michigan football ever. But you know what, Sean? This is year three. It's time to start winning big, isn't it? I know they've won 10 games his first two years, but they finished in third place each of his first two years. They've lost to Ohio State twice. Um, I'm, I'm guessing the honeymoon it's got to be coming close to an end, and it's time to start bringing on some trophies, isn't it? Yeah, I think when you look at them, Tom, the, the quarterback play, I, I still don't look like Wilton Spade as like an elite difference maker. And that, to me, you know, when he made the big move at Stanford, he had Andrew Luck, and um, he out-evaluated everybody yeah. on Andrew Luck, um, was a Rivals 100 guy, but, you know, stole him out of the state of Texas and turned him into the best quarterback in college football we've seen in, you know, I don't know how many years, 10 years or so. So uh, what, what's your thought on just their quarterback position? Because I, I feel like that might be what holds them back. Yeah, you're right. Maybe uh, there's some rumblings. Maybe Spate at some point loses the job, and the kid they really like, Brandon Peters, who went to high school in Indiana in the Indianapolis area. He may be the next, quote-unquote, great one there. Um, that can give them that elite quarterback play that they've really been lacking. And also the offensive line hasn't always been up to snuff when it comes to big games, Sean. They they couldn't really run the football against quality opponents, and they lost a lot of players off that line. Um, Maybe the replacements would be more effective against the quality opponents because you've got to be able to run the football. The defense has not been the issue the first two years under Harbaugh. It's been that offense. So watch that again. And, again, you make great points about the QB spot. Spate certainly isn't elite, more pedestrian. Maybe they make a transition in a guy like Peters. And, again, watch that offensive line. And also, Sean, don't forget they lost Amari Darbo, Jehu Chess, and, of course, Jake Butt, the tight end. They're going to need a whole new fleet of pass catchers. And we wrap, as we wrap it up here with Tom Deanhart, thoughts on the uh, new December signing day? Is this a good thing for the Big Ten um, and, and really Power 5 football going forward? I think so. And, you know, getting visits, paid official visits, in the summertime, too, it's going to help I mean, a conference like the Big Ten overall. So I do. I wonder why it took so long for us to get to this point with basketball. Had a signing period before the season even started. Um, but at least football is making some progress here. And, again, it's good for a conference like the Big Ten um, to, to get guys in particular on campus for official visits, you know, uh, during the, the time of year when um, – your campuses look different, and uh, it would be a great chance for those schools to try to sell themselves now. Tom Deanart here, our guest on the Husker Online Show. Tom, thanks again for the time. Um, looking forward to maybe seeing you, obviously, in Chicago, but hopefully we can catch up again here sometime this summer. Always enjoyed, Sean. Thank you for having me. All right, we'll be back with much more here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. The best compliment I can give him is that he's one of the guys. Uh, he just came in and fit in and just went to work. Uh, I think he's respected for his ability for sure, but he's also respected as being a good person. And, uh, and I think that a guy that uh, the other players would want to play with. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. It's time for the mailbag segment, as you just heard from head coach Mike Riley, talking about uh, Tanner Lee and, and just the impact he's had here at quarterback. But uh, back from um, a two-week hiatus here on the mailbag, Matt Reynoldson joins us here. Matt, uh, it's great to have you back on here for the mailbag, buddy. Great to be here. Great to be out of bed this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, yeah, you're out of school, so you, you don't have that studying excuse right now. So what, what do you got? A lot of questions? Yeah, a lot of good stuff. So first off, kind of a broader picture question. Who do you trust more coming out of the spring, the offense or the defense? Um... I, I think the offense. I don't know. I, I just have this feeling with Tanner Lee and, and the veteran play at receiver. Um, I, I just feel like he gives them something they haven't had uh, to fit Mike Riley's system. So I'm going to go offense. Yeah, you know, generally the defense should win the offseason, especially spring ball. Uh, if your offense is lighting up your defense, then you have some real issues. So I don't put a whole lot in stock into the offensive struggles um, this spring. And like Sean said, I think that the the kind of the factor they have at quarterback is going to be uh, a real difference maker, especially once the games get for real. And um, now that we know that Tanner Lee is is the number one guy there, um, you know they kind of go full speed ahead in, into the start of the season and you know prepping to to have him run this thing. I'm actually gonna kind of throw the dice here, gamble a little bit, and say the, the defense because. Um, I like I like the depth overall. 
uh, better on the defensive side of the football. I think especially that secondary is is uh, very deep, very talented. Um, a lot of players at the linebacker position as well. And, and I was impressed from what I saw for the most part out of the defensive line. So um, I, I feel like the depth overall is better on defense. Well, one of the big questions on that defense is the outside linebacker position. In a 3-4, it's a position that really hasn't been manufactured for this roster just yet. So do you think the staff has considered moving Marcus Newby to the other outside linebacker position, the boundary outside linebacker, in place of Alex Davis to maybe open up a spot for Luke Gifford? I, I don't see that um, happening, mainly because that other outside linebacker spot has to go on the line of scrimmage with their hand down um, almost as a defensive end at times. And let's remember, guys, Marcus Newby played safety in high school. <laughs> you know, he's kind of like a hybridish type safety linebacker. Um, they've used him as a pass rusher, uh, I guess, under Pelini. Um, but I don't see that happening. If anything, I, I still think Guy Thomas is going to get a really good opportunity as a true freshman um, but just what the nature of what that one position requires, I just don't know if Marcus can really do all of those things in this 3-4 defense to, to be that guy. Let's keep in mind, too, for all the praise we heard about Luke Gifford, there was a reason he ended the spring as the number two behind Marcus Newby. Marcus Newby played very well in his own right, and the coaching staff really likes him. So, um, When did they say he was the number two? I didn't. I said uh, I meant to say he's the number one in front of Luke Gifford. Was, was, was is that official? I yeah, mean, they, they never really came out with a depth chart. Well, yeah, they said that several times. Diaco said that Trent Bray said it right. Uh, see, I, I got the impression that Gifford is right there, and it's almost like a fifty-fifty deal right now. Well, I, I don't think I don't think newbies won that job by any means. Well, right now, if they were to put the first unit out there, my guess is he would be the first guy out there. So. Uh, so that's to say he hasn't been unseated by any stretch. And so, I mean, the competition is still going. Um, and so to, to completely shake that up, I don't know. I mean, I, I anticipate they're going to rotate a lot at linebacker. And like you said, uh, that um, boundary linebacker spot is a whole lot different than the other three spots. And so you need to have that blend of being able to play with your hand in the ground, which um, we've seen Marcus Newby do that, and he didn't do all that great. So I, I don't really know if that's the right move you want to make. The way I see it is uh, they evaluated the the personnel that they have so much that if if they were going to do that, they, I think they would have experimented with it at some point during the spring just to see, just to get a look, just to put it on film and, and see what it might look like. And since they did not do that, I, I just don't see them, you know, kind of flipping those guys around until so you get them both on the field at the same time. Yeah, the guys at that one side would be Alex Davis, Ben Stilley, and Quayshon, right? I mean, those, yep. those are then. And then you've got Guy Thomas coming in. So, yeah, I, th I think everybody agrees that that is – of the 11 spots on the defense, that might be the biggest question. Matt, what's next here in the mailbag? Well, there's personnel changes coming because of recruiting, and they're recruiting a little bit more for the 3-4 defense as well as recruiting a little bit differently on offense. And there's a lot of talk about attrition on the roster due to the small number of scholarships. What would you guys predict the number of signees being for the 2018 class? I still lean in the 18 camp and – and God, I mean, it's just going to be a thing. I mean, everyone's just going to have to chill out. They keep asking about the numbers, the attrition. <laughs> they want to see it happen now, immediately. It's not, guys. It's not going to happen. I mean, the guys that are on this roster are going to play through the season. If there's attrition, it's going to probably happen after the season. You might have some unforeseen thing happen, but um, I, I just think everybody wants the road to be paved smoothly today. And, Nate, you know the numbers as well as anyone and how it works. It just doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't work that way. You, it's not the NFL where, you know, after you take your last final of the spring semester, you go to your locker room and there's a pink slip in there telling you to, <laughs> to turn your playbook in. It doesn't work that way. It's it's a process, and, and more times than not, the guys that are going to leave are, are going to be – um, you know, the writing is kind of on the walls for those guys, and, and this coaching staff is going to try and get them in touch with the right people to help them find a place to land. I think there will be maybe a transfer or two, but at this point in time, I, I think the number is 15, like Mike Riley has said, plus I think they'll oversign by three because there will be a few guys to leave. So I'm, I'm with you, Sean. I think this, the total number is going to be right around that 18 mark. Yeah, and they'll they'll downplay it, but I think it will just keep growing at the end, Robin. <clears throat> yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you guys. I think attrition is inevitable. It happens all the time, and the fact that it happened hasn't yet hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen down the road. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, taking your questions here in the mailbag with Matt Reynoldson. Well, that one open scholarship from the basketball team or the two open scholarships of the football team could really use one of them right now, but 
Who are going to fill those last two scholarships for Nebraska ball? I know you mentioned Hans Brace earlier on, but what are your predictions on who might fill those? Yeah, if it's not Brace, then it's going to be some other form of uh, transfer big. Um, I don't know who that would be. Obviously, I mentioned a couple guys, or the guys like Akoy and um, guys like uh, Isaiah Poor Bear Chandler. Uh, but I honestly, right now, I would be surprised if they fill both spots. So I think you're really looking at them trying to fill one of those two open scholarships going into the season. And I think they want to leave themselves with that luxury of having an open spot in case, you know, say another Isaac Copeland comes around where you got a mid-year transfer and, hey, why don't you come check us out? we got an open scholarship. So, I mean, uh, with the depth they have, um, I don't think there's a pressing need to, to push to fill that um, if you don't have guys that you really like. Switching gears back to football recruiting now, since we're looking forward to the 2019 class, do you see any 2019 guys that can carry the Keyshawn or Bookie torch that have really been a catalyst for the last couple classes? Well, I think the first guy you have to look at is is Grant Gunnell, the, the 2019 Rivals 100 quarterback out of Houston, Texas. I think he's a guy that if they could land him – uh, he would be, you know, the, kind of that leader uh, in this in that 2019 class. He's very, very tight in in the state of Texas, and Nebraska has really ramped up their Texas recruiting over the last couple of years, and especially in that 2019 class, they already have their first commitment out of uh, out of Dallas, Texas, Bishop Dunn High School, Marquise Beeson. Um, I know Beeson and, and Grant Gunnell are know each other. They're friends. Uh, all these guys compete against each other on the the seven on seven circuits. They go to all these different camps together. Um, every time, what's interesting is every time there's a new Texas offer made by Nebraska, I've noticed that a guy like Grant Gunnell is retweeting it or congratulating that guy or that that prospect on getting that Nebraska offer. So I think that he he very well could be you know kind of that that torch carrying you know leader in that 2019 class if and when they they you know land his commitment. All right, we got time for one more Matt here in the mailbag. What do you got? Anything light for us to end on? Well, Sean, have you thought? about making the Husker Online radio show a Dan Patrick show type setup? <laughs> what does that mean? Like just having a bunch we just of talk mi- about beer the whole time, right? Or, or just having a bunch of microphones for interns to talk on? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> bring in me and David and then we'll bring in a couple friends. Too. Well, we we got we only have a setup for four mics, so I, I don't know if we can we could probably buy another board and go more than four, but it would be pretty tight at my table in here, guys. I don't know. What do you think, Robin? Yeah, we could at least get a basketball hoop in here or yeah, something. Play some horse between segments. Be fun. Uh, Let's spice it up. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd go more of like a Dan Lebetard setup, personally. Were you going to bring some old guy in here? Yeah. Old, yeah. <laughs> just bring your dad in here and have him yell on the mic. I can bring Lisa's. My, my wife's Cuban. I could bring my uh, grand, her 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 uh, her grandma in here, and she could talk in the mic like Dan's dad. So we'd be all set. See si or oh, no. See si or si no. no. <laughs> all right. Well, that wraps it up here for the mailbag. Lots of recruiting stuff here. Uh, Nebraska got a commit from Cameron Brown. We'll discuss that and the impact of it more next here. To close the show, you're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, it takes time to build relationships, and I think we're seeing the fruit of their labor. This is a group of young men that they've been recruiting for a couple years now. Um, culmination of a lot of them coming to the spring game. You know, when you have 78,000 people at a spring game and you bring in prospects uh, like we've been bringing in, um, you're, uh, p- positive things are going to happen. It's a great group of coaches that are out uh, recruiting on behalf of Nebraska. And, and Mike, he, he, can, he can go in any living room in America and fit fit in. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. That was Athletic Director Sean Eichhorst during Nebraska's in-state tour on the road this past week and um, just discussing um, where things are at with recruiting as we open the show. I mean, that's all anyone's talking about. Nebraska is winning the offseason, but um, teams like Iowa and Wisconsin would say, great, win the offseason, Nebraska. We'll beat you in October and November, um, as Brian Ferentz, um joked about last week um, on a podcast itself. But Nate, Nebraska picks up uh, their 10th known commit this past weekend. Um, Cameron Brown out of Christian Brothers College. Uh, we'll see him next week um, at the Rivals Camp in St. Louis. A receiver that had 1,200 yards, 11 touchdowns for arguably the top program in the city of St. Louis year in and year out. 40-inch vertical, runs a 10-7 in the 100. Still, though, a lot of people were surprised 
um, why it kind of, or you know that he was committing to Nebraska. Not, not too many people saw this coming. Yeah, he was kind of under the radar a little bit in terms of all the wide receiver prospects that, that Nebraska was in on, uh, which is which is always quite a few when you're talking about Keith Williams. Uh, it seems like he's always got a pretty large pool of really good players that are that you know he has Nebraska in the mix with. But Cameron Brown was kind of under the radar a little bit, and I think some of that has to do with the fact that his teammate Cameron Babb is a Rivals 100 wide receiver in the country. Um, you know. One of the top 100 overall prospects in the country, but I, I I feel like there's not a whole lot that's separating Bab from Brown. I think the gap is probably a little bit closer than a lot of people uh, realize. Uh, really good pick, pickup for Nebraska, and I think this was this was something that I mean they obviously liked Cameron Brown because they offered him early, but once the these track numbers that he's been putting up this spring started to to get out, I think that really kind of sealed the deal for Nebraska. That hey, we need to make a strong push for this kid because he's in St. Louis, which is an area that we want to continue to, to recruit hard. You know, right in the 500 mile radius, he is uh, he's you know extremely talented athlete. He, he would bring speed to the program. He comes from a high school program that produces you know Division One players, multiple Division One players year in and year out. Uh, we've got a teammate of his and Trey Bryant that has come into the program, acclimated very quickly, and and has been has been you know good at Nebraska so uh, why not continue that pipeline there uh, but also because you know it, it he helps your depth he, he helps to fill a need and six one hundred seventy five pounds right now uh, that that is that fast and athletic uh, but uh, is also sneaky physical uh, because he plays both ways you know he's out there laying dudes out as a cornerback um, and he's also a physical guy to, to go up and, and make contested catches too as a wide receiver so I think he just marked all the boxes for Nebraska, and they said, hey, we like this guy. We need to go make a push for him and get him in the boat now rather than waiting until the 11th hour with, with someone else. And we've seen this go down the road too many times, Nate. Yeah. I mean, they, they've kind of done it Keats' way the last couple of years, and, and Riley's like, we're going to do it my way this year, and we're taking this guy. Yeah, So, uh, and I think it's a smart move. I mean, yeah, you look at last year's class where Nebraska came up a guy or two short uh, because they were in on some really big fish. Meanwhile, a guy like Jafar Far Armstrong out of Bishop Meage in Kansas City uh, gets a Notre Dame offer, uh, you know, a week or two before signing day, and ends up going to Notre Dame. Well, Jafar Armstrong was begging for a Nebraska offer at, at earlier in the season. So, um, you know, this is kind of one of those deals where they offered Cameron Brown early. He's a really good player uh, from from inside the 500 mile radius uh, that makes your team better. So why not go ahead and just get this thing over with? You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. As we close out with recruiting and uh, want to go back to quarterback uh, for 2018, Nate. Uh, we've kind of hinted that they may not be taking one this year. Danny Langstorff, though, is still out on the road. He was out all week. Any more 2018 quarterback development? Well, the, he's been out seeing a bunch of guys. Real Mitchell out of St. John Bosco in Bellflower, California, is a guy that they evaluated. He has since committed to Iowa State. Uh, and he was kind of an interesting prospect because he was a, more of a dual threat quarterback, but he also had a really good arm. Um, right now, you know, it's still kind of Spencer Petrus out of uh, Marin Catholic in Northern California or Tyler Shaw out of uh, Hamilton, Arizona. So, um, but Danny Linksdorf has yet to offer either one of those guys. And I feel like if an offer doesn't come by the end of this weekend, that the that pretty much will close the door on 2018 quarterback recruiting and, and essentially mean that Nebraska is turning all their focus to the 2019 class, which would mean that Grant Gannell is the, the, the guy at the very top of the board there. Um, you know, I exchanged a few messages with Gannell uh, last week, and, and he was joking with me that he feels like uh, that he, he's got a very good relationship with Danny Langsdorf, and he feels like Danny has basically been at his high school every single week that the coaches have been allowed out on the road recruiting, uh, dating back to last December. He's like, I feel like Coach Langsdorf is always at my school. So uh, it's become very, very clear that uh, that Grant Gannell is number one guy on their board for the 2019 class. I mentioned earlier in the podcast that uh, that he's a guy that could be kind of a catalyst, be be a big recruiter, a big leader 
uh, for this class. So I think Nebraska may be going all in on, on getting Gunnell. Uh, but it's interesting because Alabama just offered Gunnell. He's got he's got Florida State. He's got Texas A&M, which is a school that he has connections with. So um, it's not to say that he's going to, you know, that he's a slam dunk for Nebraska. But I do feel fairly confident that the Huskers are the leader for him right now and, and that, uh, that this is how things are going to kind of play out here over the next few weeks, that they're going to basically put all their eggs in the 2019 quarterback basket. Nate, as we talk recruiting here, um, silent commit talk continues to kind of populate the Red Sea Scrolls. Todd McShane, um, Nebraska's uh, day-to-day director of kind of recruiting, made a cryptic tweet that another commit could be coming through years of detective work and experience. What can you tell us on some of this uh, cryptic tweeting going on by the Husker staff? Well, I've become very good at, at, uh, at deciphering emojis. And and, uh, and 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 tweets of that nature. And basically, <laughs> what I believe Todd McShane was saying was hourglass, which means uh, in due time. Um, it, there was a, a, a black flag, which I, I believe means um, commitment. Uh, now and then there was uh, skull and crossbones. So in due time, there will be a uh, defensive a new player, defensive black shirt commitment uh, coming to Nebraska. I believe that that uh, that prospect is already committed to Nebraska. I believe it's a silent commit. I think that uh, basically what's taking place right now is that player is letting all the other schools that have been recruiting him know uh, where he's going and and that he's closing down his his recruitment. I think he's probably getting a couple a couple fancy edits done you know of him in Nebraska in a, in a Nebraska uh, Jersey and whatnot uh, so that he can make his his announcement I think that will probably happen at some point this weekend um, this but, is, if you had a guess Mario Goodrich would I mean that's been the guy we've talked about yeah. is, is he a likely guy that this could be or could it be somebody else it could be somebody else but my money is probably on Mario Goodrich I, I think that that's the guy that that makes the most sense uh, um, you know, I do know that Dante Williams just so happened to be by Lee Summit West High School, which is Mario Goodrich's school, the day that Todd McShane put that tweet out. So, um, and Dante Williams is is really good recruiter. So, and and I said a few weeks back after the spring game that. After Mario had basically said, "I know where I want to go. I want to go to Nebraska. I just have to talk to my dad about it." Um, you know, I, I said, "Don't be surprised if all of a sudden the top recruit on Dante Williams's list becomes Mario Goodrich's dad, um, because that's you know his dad was wanting Mario to kind of pump the brakes on his whole recruitment and kind of slow things down and and take visits and not make a decision until after the season, until after they've taken all five of their visits." Well. You know, by that point in time, Nebraska probably doesn't have a spot left in this recruiting class. So I, I think that Dante more than likely has had to kind of lay things out. Play a little and, poker. Yeah, and, and play a little poker and say, hey, look, we want you. This is, you know, this is what the program can do for you. Um, this is what I can help do for you. Um, and, and this is why Nebraska makes the most sense. Let's go ahead and get this over and done with get you in the boat uh, that way we don't have to you know we don't have to worry about you know things later on down the road when there may not be a spot so we'll see what happens I, I, but I do think that the most likely you know person for that tweet at least is probably Mario Goodrich but I'll tell you this much there's two or three other kids that I think if they're not silenced to Nebraska right now they're going to be soon or they're going to be making things public very soon i think there's a handful of guys that know where they want to go and it's only a matter of time until some more commitments come out it's almost kind of weird how things are playing out because i feel like every week or two there's a new commitment and i don't know if that's by design by nebraska or if buki radley hiles is kind of engineering all of this but it just continues to see momentum the momentum is is continuing you know it's not it's not a big bang you know all these commits right at once and then a big lull it's it's a continuing momentum here and and i think that that uh you know is is a very good thing for nebraska in this class all right well there's going to be lots to follow so make sure you stay on husker online we'll also have full coverage of uh, the baseball series this weekend against Michigan State. The Huskers will try to stay red hot as they are leading the Big Ten uh, here right now. So plenty to, to follow with recruiting and baseball coverage here. Uh, thanks again here as we wrap up another show. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.